live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. You are tuned in to the entertainment edition of the ODPH, and we definitely want to keep the conversation going with you after the show. So definitely swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join in the conversation on our social media accounts. You can find them all right there. The directory, which will take you to your favorite podcast platform to listen to the show. The classifieds, parlay points, the T public store, all that and so much more is at odphpodcast.com. And remember to use the hashtag ODPHpod. So kicking off this edition of the show, it's been a relatively quiet week. Mm-hmm. There's been a couple things here and there. But the one thing that has jumped out on our radar in the land of entertainment is near and dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. I was like, super excited when I heard this project was going on because it's one of my favorite animes of all time, if not my favorite anime oh, of so all time. So you were excited. I know a lot of people were very skeptical given the track record of adapting animated uh uh, animated stuff such as you know shows and movies and whatnot and turning it into live action the track record isn't exactly the best it never really hits the full mark i mean yeah. an- anime is a great thing if you can find a one that you really gravitate towards and for me it has always been about cowboy bebop mm-hmm. and ever since i saw this anime i have just been in love with the show and it definitely hits all the marks and then when we heard it was coming to netflix yeah this is where everything was like Originally, I'm like, don't go near this for that simple reason Pat just brought up. Sure, and I'm going to give full disclosure here right at the start. I have not seen Cowboy Bebop. That is through no, like, oh, I hate it. I don't want to give it the time of day. No, it's just when Toonami first came on uh, Cartoon Network, it was not in that original run. I think there's a list on, like, Wikipedia or something. You can find out, like, what was on and what specific year. But I don't think they showed Cowboy Bebop until they – because. Toonami used to be on Cartoon Network from like three or four in the afternoon until like six or seven at night or Mm -hmm. something like that, you know, but then they flipped it and it went to almost where it is now where it's like 10 to midnight or whatever it is. And I think that's when they started showing it on Toonami. And of course, my mother wasn't going to me being in in school. My mother wasn't going to let me stay up past 10 o'clock on a school night. Right. But when you get a chance to check it out, and I highly recommend you do check the anime, it is well worth the time. It's quite possibly one of the best, if not the best of all time. I'll even put my stamp on it. Like, for me personally, I love this. This is damn near perfect. It's only 26 episodes, which Mm -hmm. is, is kind of crazy of how short it is. But they hit all the marks in it, and you really fall in love with this group of bounty hunters that it's about. So, obviously, when we heard the live action was coming out, we had to go check this out because this means a lot to fans of anime, to fans of the brand, 
and especially to fans of the ODPH, because if this is bad, I'm not going to stop talking about this. Uh, there will be a lot of upset people. Yeah, there will be a lot of upset, and we might have a whole edition if this goes completely south. But that is why we're taking a deep dive into the trailer and going to give you our breakdown, and especially Pad, who has never seen this trailer before for the show that's coming out in November on Netflix. So we are going to be talking spoilers about the trailer. So if you haven't seen it yet, we give you a fair warning now. After the countdown, we're deep diving into it. So Pad, in three... Two, one. What did you think of the Cowboy Bebop live action trailer? Uh, the trailer was interesting. Again, I've never seen the show, so I know absolutely nothing about it other than the intro music. The intro music is that timeless and classic that it transcends, you know, folks who've watched the show. Uh, but it looked interesting. A couple moments where the CGI looked a little, a little not up to snuff as they normally do, but it looked interesting nonetheless. Now, why don't you give a quick background before I get going into this about the show? Yeah, so uh, reading off of a synopsis provided to us courtesy of the folks over at Netflix, uh, it reads, uh, Cowboy Bebop is an action-packed space western about three bounty hunters, a.k.a. cowboys, all trying to outrun the past. As different as they are deadly, uh, Spike Spiegel, played by John Cho, Jet Black, played by uh, Mustafa Shakir, and Faye Valentine, played by Daniela Pineda, uh, form a scrappy, snarky crew ready to hunt down the solar system's most dangerous criminals for the right price, but they can only uh, kick and quip their way out of so many scuffles before their paths finally catch up with them. Uh, based on the beloved anime series, Cowboy Bebop is executive produced by Andre Nemec, Jeff Pinker, Josh Applebaum, and Scott Rosenberg of Midnight Radio, Marty Adelstein, and Becky Clements of Tomorrow Studios, uh, and then a whole bunch of others involved with the production of the show. So that being said, Netflix really loaded up the deck for this, and with first reactions, give it to me and give it to me now. Well, unfortunately, you got to wait until November 19th at 3 a.m. Eastern. There might be a chance I'm getting up with some coffee that morning. I was going to say, are you going to set your alarm for 3 a.m. Eastern? I'm going to say legitimately right now it's 50-50. Because let's look. I'm pulling up the old calendar. Uh, November 19th falls on a Friday. I'm going to say it's legit 50-50. I won't be able to binge watch. I'm not going to be sure, taking sure. the day off of work that day. Sure. But I'm going to say right now I really enjoyed what I saw. Mm-hmm. I'm really amped up about it. I thought that for what they did production-wise – they really captured a lot of classic moments in this trailer sure. without tipping off too much. I'll say, just reading again from the bit provided to us by Netflix, it, they did, I think, do some right steps because towards the end of their little synopsis thing, it says, original anime series director uh, Sinchiro Watanabe is a consultant on the series and original composer Yoko Kano returns for the live-action adaptation. So right there is two great steps if you're adapting something you know, from one medium to another, having folks who were involved with the original when it is so beloved and so revered mm-hmm. is a great step. I Yeah, I agree. You have to really have that hands-on approach. And that's the one thing I really took away from this trailer is it felt like they really took the time with this. Mm-hmm. That it wasn't just going through the Hollywood motion, so to speak, that they really decided to nail it panel with panel, page with page, in anime still with anime still yeah there's a lot that is going on with this and the way i'm just going to do this i don't want to spoil this too much for anybody that has not seen the anime mm-hmm. i'm going to kind of give this through the fresh eyes and just break it down as if you've seen this for the first time because we kick off with seeing spike just kind of staring off we see an overhead sunset and he's kind of contemplating what he's doing and he's also going over with an old friend about what brought him back from the dead, quote-unquote. Yeah. It was a bounty, and he was explaining how he had a partner. 
And that's the first time that we see Jet, who's on a planet, and he's kind of just looking out into the overhead of space as well, too. So it almost looks like Jupiter in the background, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. No, it's a cool just space shot. And that's the one thing. It's a space western Mm -hmm. at its core, and that's where it really nails home. And when you see that Spike is going through in there, he's kind of having little flashbacks of his past because that is a very big part of this show. Mm -hmm. They really took the time and illustrate those points. And you can definitely tell when it's a dream sequence and not when he's having those flashbacks. Sure. And even says, his friend asks, is it going to be the last time we see you? He goes, yeah, maybe I go by Spike Spiegel these days. Mm. Tying in more of his mysterious background, which Mm -hmm. I loved about this. And then we start going off a little more as he's leaving and kind of going through his contemplations. Till then, we are finally greeted with that awesome intro music that you hear all over the place now, and you should because it's fantastic. We get a shot of Jet in their spaceship, and he's you know getting ready to take off, and then sees one of the windows isn't shutting. So it is that kind of comedic element they add to this show. That yeah. It's not all serious at times. Yeah, and whoever put the trailer together, kudos to you because you've got the intro where the voice says, you know, three, two, one, let's go. And as soon as the voice says, let's go, the ship's not going. Exactly. The, like the window, the metal window shade is like malfunctioning and not dropping like the others have. And it's just like, ha, all right. It's perfect. Like they nailed that point because that's at its core. Cowboy Bebop has so many elements going on, but the comedic factor too and the banter between the bounty hunters mm-hmm. is always spot on. And they just nailed it with that part too. Yeah. So as we see the Jets trying to finish the, you know, close the window, so to speak, and, you know, really kind of make sure the ship is working because that's always kind of play. We do see them going and landing on a new planet and they have the comment where Spike is saying, you know, if the cops or bounty hunters don't get you, the syndicate will. And that is a very big part of his past mm-hmm. that... He has a lot of uh, mysterious ties with that group. It's got, it's got some skeletons. Yeah, a little bit of skeletons. And it was, we do see a couple flashbacks, too, of that element. Not giving too much away, though, which I did like about it. Mm-hmm. We do see a couple quick fight scenes on a rooftop as yeah. well. Which that, Pat, how did you like that? That looks cool. I mean, it looks like we got like a... Uh, bamboo, you know, scaffolding type thing against fists. So we'll see how that goes. Yes. And then we finally get the first shot of Faye Valentine in this, mm-hmm. who's coming out wielding a gun. She's packing on this thing, too. Uh, got the grip on the front, the little sight on the top. <laughs> Good Lord. Yeah, she's ready to go and as a bounty hunter. And then you see the banter, too, as they go back and forth between uh, her and Jet and Spike. And she's saying, well, you know, we'll be partners, and I'll take 60-40, obviously me getting the 60. It is that kind of banter that they have, just the honor amongst thieves, so Mm -hmm. to speak, literally to the point. Yeah. I love seeing that kind of interaction, too, and they're just playing it off so, so well. This is one of the best elements of the show. As they start going, we start seeing more of Faye and the best – Corgi in all the galaxy makes his appearance as well too. I'm sorry, I like again not knowing anything about you know the show. I just started seeing Corgi photos in the last 24 hours, and I go, "What the fuck is happening?" Oh yeah, I don't want to spoil that for anybody. That's one all, of the best all I know is if that dog dies, the internet's gonna ride. <laughs> also, they're gonna get a call from Keanu Reeves. Oh yeah, no, John Wick cannot cross in here. John Wick would make it, but Spike would give him a good run for the money. Like That's how over-the-top badass Spike is. And as we see, Spike is just basically wanting to kill Faye the entire time. Yeah. And and Jet has to talk him out of it no, every no, time. No, no, no. It's, it's a great banter, and it goes to show. like As much as they are a quote-unquote family, family. It, they, they're ready to drop each other. The, as, so I, did, I did like the one line in the trailer where, again, yeah, I know Spike wants to kill the girl, and he goes, come on, I just want to kill her a little bit. 
Yeah. As if, as if there's like different levels to killing somebody like, no, you're dead or you're not. Yeah. It, it's just one of the best factors of the show too. Like their repertoire with each other is so damn good that they just play off each other. Like I can't, I can't emphasize yeah. that enough as we go forward with the trailer though. We start seeing a little more of the cast and characters of the show. Mm -hmm. And and like I say, without giving too much away, it definitely ties into the history of the show. You start seeing that, obviously, being bounty hunters, they are involved with a lot of different cases. They see a lot of uh, eclectic people. Yes. And when you see that Spike is actually goes, what the actual fuck is going on? Yeah. It it really defines the moment because you're going to see a lot of over-the-top villains in this. Mm -hmm. Or I shouldn't say villains. I'll say characters. Sure. That you're going to be going like, wait, what is going on here? Because there are a couple filler episodes in the anime, in my opinion, but they work. Like, everything works. Mm -hmm. There's a couple ones that will not hit you as much, but when they start deep diving and everything... It's going to play a factor into that. Sure. Then we kind of see Spike having a little montage moment. We see Faye and Spike fighting, which this is kind of the norm when they first meet. Yeah. And they're kind of just making the deal that, okay, we're going to be working together, trying to make it happen. And then we see another shot of Spike ready to kill Faye at the moment. Yeah. I mean, Pat, being in this far deep of the episode, what are you thinking about this? I mean, it looks kind of interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how much, like, is this going to be like a running gag throughout the entire thing, or is this just something that's going to get kind of dropped every now and again just to kind of be like comedic, you know, break the tension with some comedy? Um, I, I'll say possibly. Okay. And we'll just kind of leave it at that. Then we kind of borrow a page. I don't know if it's something with Netflix, but we have like a still shot going across a hallway. I, th- I think it's a Netflix thing. It's got to be, but we see a cool pool hall fight scene, so to speak, and whatever happens, happens going across the screen. We do see an iconic shot from the anime and the first appearance of a very, very noteworthy character behind some stained glass. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to spoil it, but let's just say that that is a very, very big moment in the show. I'm going to go out on a limb. It's not Mephisto. (laughs) Damn right it's not Mephisto. That character is just awesome in his own right. And then we kind of see a little more shots of like a bank robbery going on. And we see, obviously, our team of bounty hunters just kind of traveling through the world. And they get stopped and they go, are you guys good good guys or bad guys? And Spike just replies, ever so cool. Depends who you ask. As we see him get into his own ship flying away, that is how the trailer wraps up. Not a lot to go off of if you're not familiar with the anime. But since, Pad, you are not familiar with it. Mm-hmm. What's your final thoughts on this? I mean, it looks interesting. It's definitely, you know, gives you enough of if for fans who aren't familiar with the show or maybe like lightly familiar, they've only seen it but haven't seen it in a while. You know, it definitely gives them enough to go off of and gauge their interest in. And for hardcore fans, it, you know, it's that those moments, you know, that you as fans recognize and go, oh, there's that moment. There's that other moment. So I think it does well in appeasing both audiences and it looks uh, interesting. Yeah, for me, I thought they hit all the points they needed for this trailer. Mm -hmm. Because one of the biggest questions I had is, okay, when you're taking this from stills, is it going to translate? Is it going to look fluid? Is it going to really capture the essence of the show? Yeah. From what I've seen here, I think it will. I really have got a lot of faith behind it. I felt better watching this than going into seeing some of the stills. Like, I think they've really nailed the characters' looks Yeah, for the most part. I know that um, I was hearing some online people were complaining about little stuff here and there, but for overall, sure. everybody was saying they're really excited about it. Haven't seen a few characters involved with the show just yet as well. Mm-hmm. 
but they might be saving them for the actual run of the show. Yeah, I mean, just go, go fan reaction, just going based off of the likes and dislikes on the YouTube video from the Netflix uh, account here. Uh, there's like 4.4 thousand likes and then 5,000, or excuse me, 5,000, only 503 dislikes. So it definitely seems like, yeah, and fan, people on YouTube are definitely not, uh, are definitely known to voice their pleasure or displeasure with the thumbs up and thumbs down uh, look at history. Uh, but it definitely seems mm-hmm. like just going off of the likes and dislikes, uh, fans are down for it. Yeah, and that's a good sign too because this opens the door for a lot more shows to possibly go live action if they nail this. But that's the biggest thing, that you have to really hit the show perfect or it's going to fail miserably. Mm-hmm. And it's something that there's no room for error, that you got to have this be a home run out the gate. You can't have this one that is like, oh, maybe they'll get it right the next season. So don't Avatar the Last Airbender it. Yeah, because if you do... I, I don't want to say the likelihood of another live-action anime will happen right away. I mean, if they screw this up, they will have screwed up Death Note, which they butchered the shit out of. Mm-hmm. And then they'll have screwed this up. There's no way they can recover from this in terms of anime adaptations. It would be tough. It would be really tough. Because you have to figure a lot of studios that would do want would they have to approach doing work with would be like, no, we've seen your track record. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's the point that this is so much riding on this show i mean you think it's kind of crazy because if you're not familiar with the anime you're like okay what is this show about like okay why is the big deal if you talk to anybody that's into anime they will have an opinion about this sure so there's a lot riding on the show but the initial reaction coming off of this Mm -hmm. definitely a lot to be excited about so i am definitely pumped up for this even more so than i was november 19th it's going to drop and this is also going to tie into something else coming out this week. Yeah. Because if you followed us from New York Comic Con, we were at the Funimation panel. And this Friday, My Hero Academia, World's Heroes Mission, oh. comes out in theaters. So we're going to see our favorite heroes dealing with a crisis that they got to save the world. Obviously, when somebody is trying to take all the quirks away, mm-hmm. and that is going to cause a big problem. So can our heroes save the day? and really come through in the clutch. Now, Pat, you're not too familiar with My Hero? No, I haven't seen anything. Again, I'm completely in the dark on this one. Like, I recognize the characters, but I don't even know names. See, I am starting to get into it because I was so blown away by the My Hero Academia panel and the presentation that Funimation did. Yeah. Then I'm now going and deep diving into it now, and I'm really excited to get caught up on what they're doing because coming from the press release... My Hero Academia has captivated audiences beyond the core anime and Japanese entertainment fans through unique storytelling around the global superhero phenomenon. The series has introduced a number of diverse characters who each have their own special quote-unquote quirk, a special superhuman ability that a person can have, allowing fans the opportunity to connect with their favorite characters on a personal level. My Hero Academia World's Heroes Mission serves as a standalone film that will continue bringing superhero action and adventure to a wide range of audiences to enjoy. Yeah, so I'm looking at the Rotten Tomatoes page. There's not really much to go off of. There's no score there yet. There's only four reviews, uh, three of which are uh, considered fresh. Uh, so you definitely got that going for you. Uh, also want to note that it is a limited uh, release in theaters, so it won't be in theaters super long. So, like, if you are really amping up and on on the not on the fence to see it, you know, I would consider seeing it just because it will be gone before you know it. The one I can think of, you know, and it's not exactly anime, but it was the... Uh, Tolkien film, the, the biopic that came out a couple of years ago, you know, that I wanted to see with my dad. And I said, hey, why don't we go see it? And we did. And then like a week later, it was already out of theaters. 
Yeah, so this is going to be something I'm definitely going to check out this weekend. I'm going with Rich from 3FN because we really got into what they were presenting at the panel. Like, that's one thing that when you get around fans and you really start vibing off the energy that they're bringing, mm-hmm. it's going to be make you want to check out some of their content that they keep talking about. And this is one that I've definitely had my eye on, but I'm more old school about my anime sure. than recent years. So sure. this is going to be something that I want to kind of deep dive into and check out because with this... Who knows what it's going to kind of lead into, but if this movie takes off and does a lot of noise, and this is making a lot of noise amongst the anime community, yeah, pop culture might finally jump on board. I mean, yeah. it's been something. I know you're big a Naruto fan. Yeah, I've been uh, getting into Naruto. Just I grew up, I you know, watching Dragon Ball Z. You know, because that was the one when that hit. That was the thing everybody was talking about. Oh, did you see this? Did you see that? You know, so I've seen a bunch of stuff over the years. Uh, you know, a couple of the Gundam series. You know, but I was looking to get into one. You know, just because I was looking for something to watch a couple years ago, and I was like, you know what? I've heard a, I've heard a lot about Naruto, so I started watching Naruto on Netflix, not realizing how long it is. Uh, so I've been going. Through, I went through all of the Naruto run, and then I'm currently on two. I just watched episode two fifty six of Naruto Shippuden, so that's that's been really fun. It's a lot of fun to watch, you know. It, like and it's like you know, it's it's like stuff, other foods and stuff. You can try it if you don't like it. Try go on to something else. You know, Naruto Shippuden is really good. You know, that's the cool thing with Crunchyroll because I, I watch it through Crunchyroll is once you start watching stuff, they recommend you stuff based on what you're watching. So try that and always try jumping into something new and just giving it a shot because you never know. Yeah, that's exactly a great point to bring up because from Comic-Con, that's where I'm kind of leading into and I'm going to start checking out a little bit more. Obviously, when you listen to podcasts like We Get Dubbed, mm-hmm. you're going to definitely learn about some anime. But this is going to be tying into how pop culture is going to be reacting now with Cowboy Bebop. And will anything kind of roll over into like more My Hero Academia, more One Piece, more mm-hmm. you know Naruto? You know, obviously when pop culture gets a hold of something, yeah. And not to say anime is small because it's definitely not. Oh hell no! But you think if a pop culture audience gets into it, what's the possibilities there? And I mean, the thing I will say, especially in our area, it's a lot easier to go see these movies than it used to be, just because I remember Dragon Ball in recent in recent history, like in the last five ten years, they've had three movies come out. They had the Dragon Ball Super Broly movie, which played in our area. But then uh, the Resurrection F, I the, uh, I don't think played in our area. I think I would have had to have gone an hour plus away to go see it. And I and then the first movie, Dragon Ball Z: Battle of Gods, I think I would have had to gone even further to go see because mm. it just was not showing in the area. Resurrection F might have played near. I don't remember. You know, I could be wrong, but I know. Uh, Dragon Ball Super Broly did play in our area. So it's a lot, and, and I looked it up, uh, the My Hero Academia movie is showing in our area. So with these these mega movies coming out with anime, it is getting easier to see in your area, which is awesome to see that, like, you know, because that's especially with, like, the Fathom events where it's like, oh, the 50th anniversary or whatever it was for Doctor Who. I was like, oh, that would have been cool to go see. Oh, I've got to drive two hours to go see it. Uh, all right. guess Or even they did the Indiana Jones uh, re-release a couple of years ago for the anniversary. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that'd be really cool to go see. Oh, shit, I got to drive like two and a half hours away to go see it. Guess I'm not doing that. You know, w- with stuff like that, and especially years ago with the anime movies, you know, oh, I got to drive, you know, however far to go see it, plus tickets. All right, hard pass. I guess I'll just wait till it comes out on Blu-ray and just buy the Blu-ray. The fact that it's getting more accessible and you don't have to go as far to see it is awesome. Absolutely. And you can definitely see that it's growing when Netflix is picking up the show and one with such prestige with Cowboy Bebop kind of tying this all in together. You're seeing a big surgence of this now in pop culture. It's only going to grow bigger and better. 
And with Netflix coming out with Cowboy Bebop, I think you're going to see a lot more people get turned on. So you don't think anime is big. Uh, Crunchyroll in the in the Funimation deal was for like a billion dollars. Absolutely. And I don't think that unless you're really into it, you understand how big this is. But that's why I'm saying when Cowboy Bebop drops, and if that takes off like a normal Netflix show does, mm-hmm. look out for what could be coming down. And we say normal Netflix show because we're not counting the Squid Game numbers because that's absurd. That's a whole different ball of wax right there. I'm, uh-huh. not even, I'm not even going near that. I'm talking Cowboy Bebop. I'm talking My Hero Academia. You've heard our takes. Now we want to hear yours. So hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts of the Cowboy Bebop trailer? I definitely want to have some conversations about this. And if you're going to see My Hero Academia World's Heroes mission this week, definitely let's talk about that. Hashtag ODPHpod. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Coming to you live from whatever podcast you're currently listening to, it's your boy Jay West with my co-host Mac East from the We Get Dub podcast. What up, nerds? It's me, Mac East, and we got a badass anime podcast for you. We got hot sauce. We got hot takes. We got booze and banter. And you can listen to us on all major platforms. The We Get Dub podcast. It's harder than a Goku gut punch. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And it is time to recap the best show in the Walking Dead universe currently. Okay. And that is Fear the Walking Dead. Ah. Now, you know my love affair for the show. I thought that they have done a lot of things that the flagship show is afraid to do, which is take chances, do great storylines that will really capture the audience, because it's not all predictable what happens on the show. They started off with a very good... Season premiere. Mm-hmm. We are now on episode two, entitled Six Hours. I'm going to be talking spoilers on the show, so if you haven't caught up to it, pause right here in the episode. We'll put the show notes in there, so you can definitely not miss an episode or a second of the show. And then if you want to, catch up and then jump right back in, because I'm going to start talking some spoilers in three, two, one. So what did I think? Well, this was not a great episode. This was an okay episode. Okay. And it's kind of tough to judge it because last week when we saw the fallout from the nuclear warhead going off. Yeah. And seeing how everybody is trying to survive now in not only the zombie apocalypse, but a nuclear zombie apocalypse. What could go wrong? Exactly. We saw that obviously Strand has made the most of the situation and is appearing to be the big bad for this season. Right. Which I'm okay with. Coleman Domingo, fantastic. So it's kind of interesting to see how everybody else is going to be falling out. And no pun intended. And the way it's kind of looking to me right now is they're doing it anthology style like they did last season. You know how when they came back and everybody had their own individual episodes? I'm getting that vibe here. However... This episode I thought was good, but it really didn't do anything until the very end. Mm. The very end, I'm like, you have my attention now. Because where we jump in here, we are dealing with everybody's favorite leader, Morgan Jones, played by the one only Lenny James, who is now living in the submarine that's above ground with Grace, played by Karen David. Mm-hmm. And they have the young child that was left to them, Mo. And when they're in the submarine, it's not exactly easy going sure. by any means because they're running out of food. They have to leave to put on full containment suits oh, yeah. and go scour for food like you would see in the normal show. But oh, obviously yeah. 
Pat, what do you think the elements are doing here? Well, and, and not only just that, but just from the stuff I've read and stuff I've heard and documentaries and stuff about like uh, sailors who uh, work on submarines, it's absolute hell, mm-hmm. especially if you're there for a long time, just because you are in such an enclosed space with real no real place to go. Like you think about it, like if you're home, you can stretch, you can go out, you can go this, you can go that. Submarines, you're in the middle of the damn ocean. Where the hell are you going to go? Like, you're, especially like you're down deep, like, oh, step outside. Yeah, you're going to get killed, mm-hmm. you know, and then you factor in they're in a, a post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic world with the nuclear fallout. Sure, you can get out and go places, but like you're risking radiation and death. Well, that's the whole thing. They're above ground just sitting there. And every time they have to leave to go get supplies, it's now a heightened risk of danger. Mm-hmm. Like, that's one thing I, I, I applaud the writers of the show. They took a chance doing something different. Mm-hmm. Now, this is very extreme, but it yeah. works because, let's face it, are you seeing Daryl Dixon run around in a containment suit? I don't think so. But everybody... In theory, though, based off of where the show is, I think the I think the nuke going off would affect our, the main show. Well, I would say so. Real, Like, in realistic real-world terms, I think if a nuke went off, because I don't know where the show takes Texas. Place. Okay, Texas, yeah. Texas, there in Virginia, absolutely goddamn lootly. Like, a nuke goes off in the middle of Texas... Folks in Virginia are going to have to deal with the after effects. Yeah, and they are supposed to be in the timeline. so it, They're supposed you, to be all present time, yeah. You never know. But where we jump in, Grace leaves the submarine, and she's the one out looking for supplies, and she is not dealing with this world. Like it, This has now officially broken her, and she right. is like on the point where she doesn't care if she lives or dies. She's at that level. Morgan, though, is still holding on hope because they kind of have like a, a, a budding romance, I guess, going on. Sure. And what he's trying to do is he's fixing up a car to escape the submarine and go look for supplies. Like, cause mm-hmm. they, cause they, they're just looking that they figured out that they only have like a few hours that they can breathe in their suits before they have to come back and, and re- and just get away from the radiation. So as they're doing this, grace is kind of just does not care no matter what, mm-hmm. but as they're scouring the town, because she originally ducks two people that are looking for her, uh, just scavenging everywhere they can find, they wind up kind of going back to look. And when they're arguing in the car, because like I say, the tell of this episode is how Grace is dealing with this and how Morgan is reacting to Grace. Because when Grace is hearing a song on on the tape that Morgan has playing in the car, yeah, they wind up crashing the car. Not, now, now not like a flip over, oh, yeah, just, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. they get ran off the road. And during this, they get held up by a by a couple who are definitely not handling the area they're in. They're in bandages. Oh, they're okay. not in full containment, you know, containment suits. And they basically get held up because they think that the baby that Morgan and Grace have is theirs. Oh, that figures. Because obviously they're broken because of what's going on. Sure. All the while, we now have zombies kind of approaching them. So as they're kind of forced to go and find cover and basically try fixing the car, mm-hmm. there is a standoff between the couple and, and Morgan and Grace, which I want to say it was a normal drama show. Like sure. there wasn't anything about this that was really telling, except you just knew about how broken they were with everything going on. And yeah. obviously when they're just – Completely all over the place. Like, this couple was not mentally sane by any stretch of the imagination. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Morgan is trying to be the voice of reason while he's dealing with this. And Grace is just kind of 
really finding herself during this because, like I said, she's so detached from everybody that she just doesn't care. Like, she was actually just whipping her mask off during the whole walking around the town, breathing in all the radiation. But when this is going on, too, they are kind of coming to terms where they're they're relating a little bit to the woman of the pair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Her name, I believe, was B. Okay. Um, So during this, they're kind of talking some sense into her a little bit. But her husband is just completely going crazy. And at one point, too, you do find out that the baby that they thought was in question had actually turned into a zombie. Mm. So that turns into a very odd situation. And Morgan does get tipped off at one point while he's out fighting the zombies that I believe the husband's name is Fred is trying to kill their child that they're carrying Mo. Mm. So he has to make a final like plea to grace to stop him. And they do kind of build up the dramatic, you know, will Fred get away with this? And then all of a sudden he gets shot. Mm. So Grace takes him out. And this is also like a redeeming factor for yeah. Grace because I think now she realizes how precious life is. Like, yeah. I think that's where they're going with. But it didn't really hit the mark. Like, I mean, it, I got the point. Sure. But it wasn't like I went, whoa. Like, oh, wow. Okay. Mind get, blown. Yeah. It wasn't. Like, I don't want to say it was just a reactionary mm-hmm. play, but it kind of felt like I've seen this a little before, but I've seen this on the main show. Like, yeah. I, And it's kind of, I hated having that take because I love how this show has been written thus far because it's had such a fresh feel to it, but this has felt like recent Walking Dead shows. Mm. And kind of like with Carol, you know, when she's written where she's like yeah. badass Carol to broken Carol yeah, to... Yeah, like the flip of a switch. Yeah, this was kind of like the light version of that. Yeah. With Grace. But Grace finally, you know, comes to terms with everything going on and they wind up making the save. B just says, I don't care. And she winds up staying in the town, basically writing herself off. Mm. And then Morgan and Grace go back to the sub. And when they get there, they run into somebody representing one Victor Strand. Oh. So Strand has sent his troops out. Oh, good. His rangers to offer asylum to Grace, Hmm. but not Morgan. Hmm. And very blatantly, Morgan, you're not welcome. Which Morgan is like, Strand is alive? Yeah. Which I can't wait to see their interaction when that happens. Awkward. Because somebody ain't walking out of that fight. Uh, they, they might. They might just be missing a limb. Oh, That's going to be a badass fight. I'm excited. I'm amped up for that one. But as the Strands Rangers, I believe that they're being termed as, uh, take basically everything out of the sub. Okay. And they say, Grace, your final chance. Are you coming with us? And you can bring the baby too, because Stranded wants to let you prosper in this new world. Mm-hmm. She goes, I'm not leaving Morgan. And I'm not, you're not taking the baby with you. We'll find a way. And we're, there's no chance in hell I will go anywhere with Strand. So they leave. But in almost like a storybook moment, they find supplies in the sub. There's like a hidden compartment in the, in the floor. And lo and behold, they have got stuff for months. Ooh. Like this is big and nice. economy-sized cans of uh, powdered milk. Somebody and, went and to the, Costco. Yeah, like this was a very well, like it was like a happy ending. Which, yeah. you know, Grace all of a sudden now wants to live and, and yeah. is not broken. And it didn't really kind of resonate too much. Like I said, sure. this it reminded me too much of like a former Carol story Yeah, with her. And I'm yeah. like... 
I hate when they kind of cross over into those shows. Like, I'm getting those vibes. Yeah. However, though. I saw this coming. However, what saved this episode in my book was the ending. Because we get a mysterious man walking up to a fire. And he sees in a box the name Morgan Jones written. Okay. Now, I know you don't watch the show, but I have mentioned this before. Yeah. Is this reminding you of anything? Not offhand off the top of my head, no. Well, when they relieve the box top, yeah. there's a head inside. Oh, Christ. It's the head of the bounty hunter that tried killing Morgan at the season premiere in, in 2020. Oh, oh, shit. The man who picks up the head is Josiah, Emil's brother. Ooh. And he says, I will, Morgan Jones will not live for what he did to you. End show. Ooh. So if you're kind of tuning in now and saying, why is that important? Emil was a badass bounty hunter. And Morgan and him had a very, very intense episode. The fact that we're going to have Josiah step up to fight Morgan, I'm here for this. Because mm-hmm. this can get all types of crazy. And if this is the warm-up to get to Victor Strand and his army, Morgan is in for a fight, and I am down to see this. Because Morgan is great on the show. Lenny James does an amazing job with the character. I just felt the rest of the show was... I hate saying paint by numbers, but it was like borrowing too much from the other show. It almost felt like filler in a, in a way. Yeah, like, and I hate seeing that. Yeah, it, it, felt, like, it felt like a mix of, like... If we're again talking anime last segment, it felt like a mixed canon slash filler where like there's elements of stuff that overall the plot, but it doesn't really move anything forward super far. Yeah, no, it really didn't. Just I mean, it was more or less focusing on Grace going from being broken to yeah. re- rehabilitating herself. Yeah, which I'm good with. Like I, I I thought it was it made its point, but it just felt too borrowed from Carol's storyline yeah. from a couple of years ago. That's the only thing I really took away from this. Like, it really felt like a filler episode. And I hate saying that about this show, but I'm being very honest with you. I thought, though, the ending really hit, though. And if you're just tuning in now, you're going to be lost about what happened. You're going to be like, why is Morgan's name written on a box? And then, oh, my God, there's a head inside. It makes sense if you've been following the show. And that's why I'm super excited about it, because I know where this is probably going to lead. However, though, the trailer for next week did not appear to have... Strand or Morgan in it, uh, it's going to be tying into Jane's story. Okay, so I'm okay with that. Like I have no problem that they're going to be doing anthology or June story. I should say, uh, Jenna Elfman's character. So it's going to be tying in with her, where she is right now in the zombie apocalypse with the nuclear fallout. But I'm okay with that, and I'm here for that because what they've done thus far with Fear is they're really taking the time to develop the characters, and they're really kind of seeing where we're going from here. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of started sprinkling a little bit about this mysterious Padre. Because yeah. I know that he was or he was mentioned by B during this episode. But they didn't really hit upon it. They just kind yeah. of mentioned it quick, like a quick jab yeah. and walked. But I like how they do that because it's the subtle build. Then when they finally get to the end, it should really resonate with the fans. That's why I say Fury is usually on point. This one, it's not bad. But it's not like a must-watch until the end, sure. In my opinion, sure. And, and I kind of I, I hate saying that because I've really been enjoying the show thus far. But this was a little bit of a step back in my All opinion. Right. But I gave you my opinion, so now I want to hear yours. Hit me up on the hashtag hashtag ODPHPod. What is your thoughts 
about Fear the Walking Dead's episode two of season seven entitled Six Hours. I definitely want to have this conversation. So let me know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideroom Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the oceans, or the plains Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got for those one-shots? Got a couple of things to talk about. Uh, the first of which is we record today. Uh, the folks over at Amazon decided to grace us with the first trailer for season one of The Wheel of Time. Uh, I did not get to see this at New York Comic Con uh, because I probably wasn't ready yet, I guess. Uh, but it looks really cool. I won't go super in-depth or into spoilers because I think this is something you should check out on your own. Uh, the show does come out on November 19th, but it does give us a little bit of backstory and kind of a little hint as to what's going on, you know, Obviously, this has got a Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings. I'll even say a little bit of The Witcher. Yeah, I'll give you that uh, vibe to it. So obviously, there's evil afoot. You know, there's you know somebody who can save the world, and it's amongst you know five individuals who are in the show, and they got to figure out who it is. There's magic. There's monsters. There's traveling. You know, so there's a little bit of everything for if you're into the fantasy genre. It looks really goddamn cool. I gotta say. Yeah, no, this definitely looks super dope, man. Like, I'm excited to check this show out. Yeah. I'll be watching it after Cowboy Bebop, though, because it debuts on the 19th. Same day, yeah. No, I'm super excited to see this. Yeah, we'll definitely be talking about this on the ODPH, but so far, Amazon has really got it. looks like a big monster is coming on their hands. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, switching over to some other news, uh, it was reported by The Hollywood Reporter that one Hayden Christensen will not be doing a one-and-done for Anakin, reprising his really? role. Really? He's not doing a one-and-done reprising his role as Anakin's Skywalker in just the Kenobi series. No, no, no. He is joining the Ahsoka series starring Rosario Dawson. So Anakin and Ahsoka are going to reunite. And I swear to God, if Anakin looks at Ahsoka, even if it's as, as a flashback, because it's got to be a flashback given where it takes place in the, in the timeline. And if I get Hayden Christensen looking at Rosario Dawson and calling uh, Ahsoka Snips, because that's what Anakin called Ahsoka, his Padawan in the Clone Wars. He called her Snips as, you know, a joke. I'm going to fucking lose it. I'm going to mark out like a madman. I can imagine. I cannot wait. This is awesome. I'm, I'm so glad to see him not only come back to the Star Wars franchise after so long away and, and not really doing much with it, to having his voice appear in Rise of Skywalker, to appearing in, uh, he's going to appear in Kenobi, and now he's going to be in, a, in the Ahsoka series. It's going to be awesome. And the community seems like they're really embracing him back. Oh, absolutely. It looks It's awesome to see, you know, just... Because I know the the prequels get their hate, and yes, there are bad parts of it. I'm not going to sit here and say they're perfect and they're flawless, but I don't really put any of it at the feet of a Hayden Christensen. He's an actor; he can only do so much with what he's given. Yeah, I mean they're just bad films, yeah. and I can get I can go into them. No, I'm I'm not going to. No, but. I, it's definitely cool to see him back, though. Yeah. I, I, I gotta say, I'm definitely excited to check him out. Uh, switching over to some Netflix news, because I am super excited for this. Uh, one of my favorite shows on Netflix uh, that started out over the BBC, but eventually switched over to Netflix, is The Last Kingdom. Uh, based on a book series of the same, I believe of the same name, I could be wrong. But also the show is loosely based on real events. It, took, it takes place in like year 1000, you know, AD, so it's a long time ago. The, some of the folks in the show did exist, and some of the events did take place, so it, it's kind of loosely based in history. Uh, but their uh, final season is, a fifth and final season is coming up 
at some point. I don't even know if they started filming yet. But it was announced last week that a feature film is in the works. Hmm. Uh, reading from an article on Deadline.com, uh, quote, delivering the announcement at today's London MCM Comic-Con, Alexander Draymond, who stars as uh, protagonist Uhtred and executive producers and executive produces the historical drama Unveiled Carnival Films Seven Kings Must Die. Filming on the two-hour feature will begin early next year in Budapest, shortly before the final 10-part uh, season drops on Netflix. Draymond will reprise his lead role and will be joined by many of the series' cast along with some new faces. While next year's Season 5 fully concludes the series, producer uh, Nigel Marchant said, uh, there was always one more story that we wanted to tell, close quote. Draymond added, uh, it's been such a uh, privilege to tell Uhtred's story for five seasons. I'm so grateful to our fans. They have been Im- immensely loyal to the last kingdom and thanks to their support the team is getting together for another round close quote uh so yeah i'm super excited for this last kingdom is a really good show that i don't think gets the love it deserves you know like i said it started out on the bbc and then it switched over to netflix and it's such a fantastic series with a lot of ups and downs you know if you think of a series or a movie where the main protagonist just constantly can't get to what he wants because he keeps getting shit on by life fate and and extenuating circumstances uh this show will trump trump that in spades okay uh he constantly has a over and i don't want to go into spoilers because you should really watch it but he has an overarching goal that he there's something he wants you know and he kind of says it in the intro of the show every episode so it becomes very clear what he wants Mm. but everything possible keeps getting in the way just when he thinks he can get away from what's been going on and he can finally do what he wants to somebody comes around goes no i need you and here's why and you don't have a say in the matter Okay. So I'm super excited for that. Yeah, I know you keep hyping this up, man. I definitely got to go take a watch. Uh, switching over to some Marvel news, uh, courtesy of the folks over at Empire, we got a couple more confirmations. First, some folks appearing in Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, drum roll, please. It is officially confirmed that uh, Reese Ephens, uh, a.k.a. Dr. Kirk Connors, okay. a.k.a. Lizard, from The Amazing Spider-Man, will be reprising his role. Also, Thomas Hayden Church, a.k.a. Flint Marco, a.k.a. Sandman from Spider-Man 3 will be joining the growing list of villains in No Way Home. Uh, Listen, this was no super surprise. You know, eagle-eyed fans, I think we even said it on the show when we were breaking down that epic trailer that came out that it appeared that there was sand getting thrown. So presumably we are seeing Sandman. And there was speculation that, you know, one of the uh, shadowy figures we saw in the trailer did have a lizard-like shape and it looked like Kirk Connors. But hey, it's officially confirmed. So hey, Sinister Six is coming. Yeah, this is happening. I, you know, there's so many people tagged with this show. Or this movie, rather, I gotta say. It's like everybody. Yeah, like, there's no way everybody's gonna be on this at once. And, I, like, I don't understand there'll how they're gonna... There'll be a moment. There'll be a moment. So, listen, as we said before, Sony has had a hard-on to do the Sinister Six yeah. movie for, like, two decades. It's bizarre. They're not gonna finally pull this off and not have all six of them on the screen together. Right, but you know what the sad... I don't want to say sad thing, but you know what the thing is gonna be about this. Spider-Man No Way Home is going to make like a bazillion dollars. Uh-huh. Sony's going to go, see, we put the Sinister Six in here. That's why. Yeah. yeah no, but like I say, you're going to hear a lot more hype coming out of this. Yeah. Like, that's just my opinion. Like I, th- I think they'll be able to pull it off just because Marvel's involved and Feige's involved. Feige and the, and the crew of Marvel have already shown that they can do these movies and these stories with multiple people in them. Hello, Civil War. Hello, Infinity War, Endgame. You know, where Mar- uh, Sony has faulted. Mm-hmm. Hello, Spider-Man 3. Spider-Man 3 had a lot going on, and there was four 
five if you want to count uh james franco as harry osborne mm, you know so, so it had a lot going on you know and it didn't really work but you look at some of what marvel's done over the years and, and especially bringing some characters over for some stuff they can pull it off so i think with if this were sony on their own i'd be like this is gonna fucking bomb and it's gonna be a god-awful train wreck but with Marvel involved, I'm like, all right, this is going to be actually pretty good. Yeah, no, I, I get that. And I, I agree with you. I think the fact that the MCU house is going to be involved with this helps. Yeah. I'm just fearing that some people that make those kind of decisions are going to see, like, this is why this movie did well, because we did the Sinister Six. Now we can roll them out, blah, blah, blah. Like, for me, it's just it's not generating enough buzz for me to say, like, I want to see them in the theater. Mm-hmm. But we'll have to see. Like, I yeah. mean, I could be happily surprised, but I'm yeah. sorry. Like, I've never had an interest to see a Sinister Six movie. But yeah. all signs point we're going with I'm there. just excited to see all three Spider-Man on the screen at the same time. I know they haven't officially confirmed it, but let's face it. It's like the worst kept secret on the internet at this point. True. Uh, switching over to some video game news. I know you are excited for this one. Yes. Uh, Xbox is supposedly working on a Wu-Tang Clan themed RPG. Give it to me. Yeah, you heard that right, folks. Uh, reading from an article on IGN.com, uh, it says, Microsoft is reportedly developing a new game based on the Wu-Tang Clan. That's right, the infamous hip-hop group that brought us RZA, Ghostface Killer, Method Man, and more East Coast, hip-hop, um, East Coast music icons will feature heavily in a new action RPG, according to Windows Central. Windows Central reporting was uh, reinforced by GameSpot Game Beats' uh, Jeff Grubb, who said on his video show that he understood the information to be correct. The game, codenamed Shaolin, because of course it is, Fuck yeah. uh, is reportedly in development at Brass Line Entertainment, a newer studio that focuses on fictional universes that center on black, brown, and other traditionally marginalized characters, cultures, and stories. The studio was founded by Manveer Heer, uh, lead designer on Mass Effect 3, Brianna Dabby Smith, Def Jam Vendetta, and Sleeping Dogs, okay, and Rashad Reddick, artist on The Elder Scrolls Skyrim in Fallout 3. The studio lists collaborators such as Grammy uh, Grammy winner Just Blaze, hip-hop producer for Jay-Z, Drake, and Beyonce, mm-hmm. and writer even uh, Narcisse, Rise of the Black Panther, in addition to a long history of video game journalism. Uh, so this is going to be something awesome and uh, not anything I think I've ever seen before. Give it to me. I'm, I'm amped for it. Uh, have you already put your pre-order in? If I can sign up for it right now, I would. I mean, I'm looking at the IGN article right there. I'm like, I'm like, do we have footage? No. Oh, damn it. I'm sorry. Like, give. I love Wu Tang. I'm going to be buying this uh-huh. first day. If I could tra- somehow translate Wu Tang Shaolin style, the original fighting game, onto my Xbox, I would do it in a heartbeat. Yeah. But I'm sorry. Like, give it to me. Yeah. Just absolutely give it to me. Uh, sticking with some video game news, uh, there's a game out that isn't super huge, but it's kind of growing in popularity uh, from the folks over at Amazon. It's a game called New World. Uh, not too familiar with it. It's an open world game where you can you can go around and do some stuff. Uh, but they put out a patch that caught my eye, and I go, yo, that's a hell of a, a little bit of a hammer to throw down on people. Uh, they put out a patch uh, in their 1.0.3 update. Uh, which brought server transfers to the game. Uh, also, the uh, supposed gold dupe glitch uh, has been patched, and, well, if you do said glitch, you are going to get hit with a massive hammer. Hmm. Now, glitches in, in reproducing things are nothing new. I know there was one in Pokemon years ago where you could duplicate items. 
you know, I know there was one in Destiny 1 early on. There was the Loot Cave, you know, which I never got around to because I didn't find out about it until they already patched it. But it's it, it's well known and there's well-documented instances of, of glitches over the years. I know there's GTA's got stuff over the years. Uh, but there's this gold dupe glitch, which a lot of players, you know, you could basically duplicate your golden items. Basically, I guess what you would do is you can uh, trade or send items to other players and you would log off and then log back on and the items or gold you had sent would be duplicated. You know, and of course, given this and, and whatnot, you know, word about this quickly spread, but Amazon has addressed it saying, if you did this, you know, we're not going to do anything. We'll simply take away the items or the gold that you duplicated. If you are caught doing this going forward, you will be banned permanently. Damn. Yo. That's freaking wild. That's ins- that's insane. I I know GTA had one for GTA Online. There was a money glitch where and and I know a couple of friends who would play GTA Online, and they would have somebody just wire them like multi million, multi billion, <laughs> multi billion dollars, and it's like, whoa, where did this come from? And it was somebody like glitching it and giving it to them, and they eventually clamped down on it. Uh, switching over to some Marvel news and some past Marvel news, I guess you could say. Uh, there was a uh, book, a new book that came uh, come out or is coming out called The Story of Marvel Studios, The Making of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, it's written by Tara Bennett and Paul Terry, and it chronicles, I guess, the, the production of the Infinity War Saga's 23 movies, uh, including Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1, which, of course, we know was directed by James Gunn. Mm-hmm. Uh, the book is 512 pages. Yikes. Okay. That, that's, a, that's a read and a that's half. A, it's a lot. Yeah. Uh, it Specifically, one interesting part, it details, I guess, the early plans to bring in the Guardians of the Galaxy to the MCU. And there would have been a series of one shots, I guess, that would have been put out uh, before the characters made their big screen debut. Uh, although, I guess, uh, Feige decided to scrap the idea. It might have been a little much. Uh, reading from an article on IGN, uh, they say, quote, This one-shot series would have led into the Guardians movie pr- proper, which would have also been directly preceded by a fourth self-contained short film about a mysterious kid who loved fantasy things, Feige said. Halfway through Guardians, we would reveal that big space hero is the kid from the short. Uh, we thought that would be clever, but it was too much, close quote. So definitely an interesting look back and, and a little peek behind the curtain, I guess, uh, at what could have been from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, and boy, that would have been interesting to see. That would have been freaking wild. Yeah. Like, it's... Marvel is so well thought out about that. The fact yeah. that that was even an option. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, and then lastly, we finally got our first look at the uh, Uncharted film starring Mark Wahlberg, Tom Holland, and then Sophia Ali. Uh, of course, Mark Wahlberg playing Sully, Sophia Ali uh, playing Chloe, and then uh, Tom Holland playing uh, Nathan Drake. And I got to say, I was skeptical. Of course, we know video game movies history and their uh, track record more often than not. Uh, more often than not, they're bad. Mm-hmm. There's some instances where they're not that bad. Uh, hello, Ratchet and Clank. Uh, but no, I got to say, this one doesn't look that bad. You know, all things considered, I was kind of skeptical with Tom Holland. And he's a little... Nathan Drake in the games is, you know, I won't say middle age, but he's like in between 30s and 40s, I would say, in the games. Tom Holland doesn't look the part. Uh, Mark Wahlberg, if you, if you Google search Sully Uncharted... You will see what he looks like. He looks nothing like Mark Wahlberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sophia Ali, I'll say they they definitely got to look the part of Chloe. You know, Chloe in the game again is about you know thirties, maybe early forties. You know, but the woman they got playing her, Sophia Ali, looks like a younger version. Of course, this movie does appear to take place you know in the younger years of Nathan Drake. So I I'm like, all right, this makes sense. They look at Tom Holland looks way. I'll I'll echo what Mark Wahlberg says in the trailer. 
Tom Holland looks way too young to be a bartender. Like, yeah. it, it's nothing against the character. It's just Tom Holland looks really fucking young. Uh, but no, the, the, the trailer looks really awesome. It looks a lot of fun. I like how they're weaving in some of the story that came in later because they mentioned uh, his brother Sam, which they did not bring in until, I want to say, the fourth game. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't even really referenced or mentioned, so I like I dig seeing that. You know, I, I like how... Tom Holland basically looks like Nathan Drake from the games, even down to he wears the ring, you know, which I won't really touch on because I'm sure that's going to come up in the movie because it's a very integral part to the character. But even the action sequences look awesome because that end sequence in the trailer where it's the cargo plane and the boxes are hanging out the end, that's straight out of the third game. Yeah, that's what you you told me about it. You know, the the third game, it takes place over the sands of somewhere in the Middle East because they're... They're trying to, I forget what they're trying to find, but it takes place over the, over in a desert, but this one obviously over the ocean, but I'm sitting there going, oh, holy shit. They're doing the third game's big cinematic sequence because the thing that Uncharted games are known for is the over the top movie like sequences. The second game have an absolutely bonkers train sequence where it get part, a train car gets shot, uh, gets missiles shot at it by a helicopter, which it then derails uncouples from the car in front of it and goes tumbling at you while your character is holding on to the end of the car you're on, and it's flaming and flying at you, that I'm like, this is like a goddamn movie. Mm-hmm. you know. The, but I will say, I'm optimistic about this. You know what, I'll go see it. You know, I was kind of on the fence given, you know, until I saw something, but I've seen the trailer. Looks good. It's weird seeing Peter Parker serve drinks. Yeah, it is. But once you get past it, this actually looks really good. Yeah. I mean, I'm not the biggest Uncharted guy. Sure. But this looked entertaining. Yeah, and, yeah. Well, I'm, I can't. Like I say, I'm excited. Yeah, I definitely got to check that out. Yeah. So for my one shots, talking a little comics. Okay. First and foremost, I want to congratulate David Pepos. Okay. Who won the 2021 Ringo Award for best single issue or Ooh. story for the OZ? Okay. Uh listen, I got a chance to meet him at New York Comic Con. Yeah. He will. We're working out the time he will be coming on the ODPH. Ah. I'm super fucking excited about that too. You always hear him on Cheers to Comics. Uh, he does amazing work. So kudos to you, sir. I'm. I was excited when I heard the news. Brian broke it on Cheers. So listen, man. Congratulations. And if you haven't checked out the OZ, definitely go check it out. If you need more recommendations, I will definitely hook you up with some mm-hmm. because he does fantastic work. It is a big comic book day. Okay. So there is a lot. That is coming out at the shelves this week. Sure. So first and foremost, online, because it's Comixology Unlimited, The All-Nighter by Chip Zdarsky is out. So definitely go check that out. From Boom Studios, Once in Future 21. Love that series. Ah. This is, I did not think I would love it as much as I do, but the fantastic take, tying in King Arthur elements to modern day, like you have to read it to really appreciate it. But it's fucking fantastic. Like, I get into it every time. And, in fact, I'm now going on a reread to to really catch up on it, to do it justice. Issue number 21 just came out. is definitely worth the time picking up. And then there is one book that, Pad, I don't know if you're familiar with. Okay. Have you ever heard about Something is Killing the Children? I don't think so. Maybe in passing, and I just never paid attention to it. James Tynan writes it. Okay. uh, It's Boom Studios. They have now rolled out a spin-off book called House of Slaughter number 1. Oh lord, that's a title. It is, but it makes sense to the story. So like I said, if you haven't read Something is Killing the Children, I don't want to ruin it for you, but this is a great jump on point that if you want to get familiar with the background of the, some of the characters, yeah. they're doing a very good job explaining it. Like I said, sure. I, I I'm trying not to spoil anything about it because 
this book is really well done and it gives you a great insight about this whole universe that's going on. Sure. There's a lot of hype behind the, the something is killing the children. So definitely if you haven't checked that out, go read that and read this as a companion piece because it is well worth the time. Also at Valiant, shout out to them. A book that we were fortunate enough to read a little while ago is finally at your shelves. And I can't stress this enough. They have got a monster on their hands. A literal, surefied hit in The Harbinger. Now, if you're an old school Valiant fan, you've heard that name get thrown around that universe before. But this is now a, a fantastic retelling in modern. Like, I don't want to even ruin that for you. It is just so over-the-top, out-of-control good. You need to get this on your pull list. Yeah. There is no question about it. If you're not familiar with The Harbinger, it's a fantastic read. I give it my highest recommendation of the week. All right. So definitely when you swing on over to your comic book shops, go pick up an issue. Go pick up an issue of everything we mentioned, too, because I give the certified. I'm reading these. This is why I'm telling you. This isn't like I'm reading off a press script. I'm giving you my actual. I I got the chance to check it out. This is my opinion of it. So definitely, if I'm co-signing on it, I'm saying go pick up the issue and The Harbinger by Valiant. Get familiar and get familiar quick because it's about ready to take off going into the year of Valiant 2022. So my one shot this week, uh, got a little more uh, balance out here going on. Okay. Brendan Fraser has been tagged as the villain in the Batgirl movie. Oh, that's wild. Yes. So he's uh, rumored to be playing Firefly. Okay. So more information on that one is coming up. But obviously, if you've been watching Doom Patrol on HBO Max, you know how fantastic he is in the role. Yeah. And there's another show that just wrapped up. Uh-huh. And there's season three, and that is DC's Titans. Ooh. Now, obviously, this show has been very polarizing with fans, shall we yeah, say. Yeah, huh So I definitely want to stress that I'm not going to do any spoilers. Dre Driven just did a Mundre minute about it. Okay. So you can definitely check that out on his Twitter, DreDriven83, or his column on odphpodcast.com. But for this, my opinion of it, I thought the show has improved. Is it a bona fide home run? No. But I did like what they did this season because what they did is they took the team out of San Francisco they brought them to Gotham City. The main villain was Scarecrow. Mm. This is no like spoilers about this. No, yeah, yeah. This was very wide open. And we got to see how the Titans dealt with Scarecrow uh. this year. They tied in elements of classic Batman stories. And obviously one was involving the Red Hood. Mm-hmm. Kind of says it all there. Yeah. Uh, it did not have the worst season finale like they usually do. Sure. Because if you've heard me in the past... Season one was bad. Season two was really bad. Season three's finale was very watchable, and I did not get that angry about it. They they did take some uh, liberties, though, with this season. Sure. Obviously, tying in a lot of the Batman mythos and with Scarecrow here as well, they kind of went in a couple different directions I wasn't expecting, Mm -hmm. and how they portrayed the Scarecrow was very, very interesting. Uh, Vincent Carthreiser, uh, I thought, did a very good job as Jonathan Crane. Sure. But a very different one than we've seen before. Oh, sure. So, and I think at times it was really on point, and I think at times the character was just kind of a little all over the place. But it's nothing against the actor about this. It's just, that's how the script was. Yeah. I did like, though, the main characters really did a good job about portraying the Titans as the Titans. Like, they didn't go completely dark and gritty because they were in Gotham. Obviously, Brendan Thwaites as Dick Grayson, a.k.a. Nightwing, 
had a lot to deal with this coming back home. And if you know about his relationship with Bruce Wayne in this show, it's very uh, tense, uh, to put it mildly. All right. Obviously, the whole infamous fuck Batman line, yeah, uh, which was the most misleading trailer of all time, for record, uh, kind of plays a little more impact here. And you understand why with the story going on, because when Jason Todd's involved... It's usually a mess. Yeah, it's usually not good. They've introduced uh, Tim Drake, so I'm excited to see where that goes. And like I said, for what they did, they kept it very Titans-esque instead of making it into a Batman wannabe. Like, I did not get Arrow vibes from this. Right. Because you know how much that was influenced by Batman. Very heavily. This, they kept it Titans for the most part. A couple episodes, they went very dark. Um, but for the most part, I thought they did a very good job with the show. Is it the home run that uh, Doom Patrol is? No. But they're taking steps in the right direction. And like I said, the finale was not the worst one they've ever done. Yeah. And that's a good sign. That's not a knock on them at all. I think when they finally are hitting their groove, because now they got renewed for season four. Right. They left it with a lot of possibilities that I like as a DC Titans fan. Meaning, I've read the comics. They did name drop a few people. I'm definitely excited if they cast said characters and to see where they go for next year. The only thing I'm not sure about is who would be the big bad next year. Right. But if they want to bring back Slade Wilson, listen, you can never have enough Slade Wilson on your television. Just going to put that out there. Uh, But for anybody else, I'm not really sure where they're going to go because I don't want to say it was a happy ending, but it kind of was. But obviously... If you're going to be writing superhero shows, happiness only lasts for so long. Uh huh. So I will say this. If you haven't checked out the show, just jump right into season three. Like, you might be lost in a couple things, but you can gain ground quick. Because they do portray a lot of the Batman stories they're influencing here. Yeah. And it makes sense. You don't have to, you won't be too far lost. You might be a little lost with certain character dynamics, uh, especially around, like, uh, episodes eight or nine. Like mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna be a little lost at what's going on, but nevertheless, I say this is worth a watch. So if you got the time, definitely head on over to HBO Max, check out uh, DC's Titans, and let me know what you think about the show on HBO Max on uh, Twitter. Uh, Od Parlay Hour. I definitely want to have that conversation with some people about this. I know Dre and I have been going back and forth about this, and I know online the people have been uh, it's been very polarizing. Mm-hmm. So I definitely want to have that conversation and kind of see where everybody's standing with it. I thought it was worth a watch. Is it a home run? No. I'm going to say that first and foremost. But it's better than it's been. And I think that's a great thing going into the next season. So that being said, the music you heard on this edition of the ODPH is that a shout out to the robots. They're fantastic people. Can't plug them enough. Pad, where do I go to find out more about Shout? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You go over to the music section at ODPHpodcast.com. You check out everything going on with Brian Wolf. You check out everything going on with Floodlands, Second Suitor, Yard Party, Tom Jolu. The list goes on and on, folks. We co-sign on everybody that's on that list. You should go support the hell out of them. You can also check out the directory where you can go and find the ODPH on your favorite podcast player. Pad, how many pods are on there right now? Uh, a lot. <laughs> that is saying something. We're adding more and more each time we hear that we're on there. So you, the listener, can find the ODPH with ease. Drop that follow. Drop that subscribe. We say thank you. And you get all the content for one low price of absolutely nothing. Also, while you're at this website, go check out the Classifieds, which has Friends of the Show, Organizational Link Support, and Black Lives Matter, all the amazing pod groups we are in via their pod chaser pages. Because if I say it once, I say it a thousand times, and I'm not kidding when I say this. 
if you're running around saying you're in a pod group and your group isn't on Podchaser, you're not in a pod group, period. So that being said, shout out to the Innerd Circle, shout out to the Apocalypse, which is growing every day, and shout out to our fam at 607 Podcasts and 8122 Productions. All of that, the T Public Store, Parlay Points, and so much more is at odphpodcast.com. That's all I got for this week. So for the one late Paddle 1J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We'll see you next time. The making of a monster, the crowning